Welcome to the Word Podcast. The Lord God has given us His Word. Let us learn it. Let us live it. Let us rejoice in it. Spread the Word. Blessings, everyone. This is Dale. Thank you so much for joining with us. I'm a little displaced, so we're doing this on the road some. So uh, the audio quality may be a little different, probably a little tinnier the way I normally sound. But it's all right. Yeah, we'll keep pressing on, right? We're in First Peter uh, chapter 3. In our last episode together, uh, Peter asked this question. So who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is doing right? And he says, you know, you've done these things. Uh, but it should be okay if you suffer for the sake of righteousness. He says, if you do, you're blessed. So don't fear intimidation and don't. Uh, don't be troubled by anything. But he gives us some directed things to do. He says, sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. And then always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. And we have the hope of the Lord. If anyone asks, we should be able to give an account why we are who we are. He said, but to do so <clears throat> with gentleness and with reverence. <clears throat> and then he said, keep a good conscience so that in everything, in all this stuff that you're slandered with, that those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. He's acknowledging that there will be those who will revile the things that we good do, the good behavior in Christ, but they will be put to shame. Then, verse 17, we didn't cover this last time, the sentence that stands here by itself, but not really. Verse 17, 1 Peter 3, For it is better if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right rather for than for doing what is wrong. A lot of times people will do something wrong and then they'll say, oh, well, I'm suffering for the Lord. I'm suffering for the Lord. No, you're not suffering for the Lord. You've done something wrong. Okay, there's a sin. There's a problem right here. You've done wrong. And so you're not suffering for the Lord at all. But he says, it is better if God should will it, he's acknowledging that sometimes it is the will of the Lord. He knows that we're suffering. He knows what we're going through. But there is a far greater agenda afoot here than just our comfort. And we forget that quite often. We sort of act and live as if uh, the kingdom of God is all about us and the kingdom of God is all about what I want and the kingdom of God is all about my comfort. And I can understand that from, you know, a lot of things that you hear preached from the pulpit, uh, whether it's a, a local pulpit or, or a pulpit from a, a radio or a TV program or an internet or something like that. There's a lot of perversion of the Word of God. <clears throat> and a lot of it centers around, if you believe God, you can get what you want right now. And that is not at all what the Scripture says. Here it says, it is better if God should will that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. There's going to be times when we suffer for doing what is right. So let me read this next sentence. There's actually three verses. I'm not sure if we'll be able to get into detail with it. We may have to pick that up the next time. But here's verse 18 of 1 Peter. For Christ, and notice that word for, F-O-R. So in light of this, in light of the fact that it's better to suffer for doing what's right. Then he gives Christ as an example. For Christ also died for sins once for all. Okay, you see that here. You see it in Paul's writings. You see it throughout the scripture. 
Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. And so you see here God the Father, you see here Christ, and you see the Spirit. And people say, well, isn't Jesus God? Well, sure, sure he's God. The Holy Spirit is God, Jesus Christ is God, and the Father is God. But you see here that Christ was the one who died for us, and his whole purpose, and as you'll see throughout uh, the New Testament and the Old Testament, but it's so interesting because people, uh, they either don't pay attention to this, they don't, we just sort of get sidetracked by things, I don't know what it is. But the Son did what he did, Jesus did what he did to reconcile us to God the Father. We were separated. Reconcile means to bring together elements which should never have been separated. And we were separated when man chose to go his own way and to rebel against God. And so the Lord reconciles us. He did so to bring us to God. And how did he do it? Having been put to death in the flesh, Philippians tells us that the Lord himself, Lord Jesus, took on the form of flesh. He literally took on human body, took on the form that he had created, and he stepped into time because he'd created time. And you say, well, I thought God created everything. He did. Genesis 1 says God. But the, the plural there is, uh, the Hebrew plural shows that his father, son, and spirit. The first chapter of John shows us that Jesus was the one who spoke it into existence. And so he, he was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Now, whether it's the spirit, uh, the the uh, spirit of life or the, the Holy Spirit, we're made alive in the Spirit. In other words, he was dead, but now he's alive. Verse 19 says this, in which also he went and made proclamations to the spirits now in prison. Oh, yeah, this is a wild verse right here. Let me read the rest of it. We'll talk a little bit and probably pick it up next time too. In which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Now you can imagine there's debate about these verses, but let me just show you the simple truth. If you just read what it says and believe what it says, you'll be fine. Now, there's questions you may have arise. Absolutely. And we may or may not know exactly what the answer is to that, but we know what the basic truths are. And the basic truths are this, that Christ died for sins once for all, okay? that he might bring us to God. He was put to death in the flesh. And he was made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison. There's some spirits that are in prison. And the Lord went and made proclamation to them. Well, when did he do that? Well, generally speaking, I think that uh, it's, the general understanding is the three days and the three nights that the Lord had died, okay, before he was resurrected, that he did it in that period of time. It may be another time, okay? We simply don't precisely know when. But the idea being that he descended to where these spirits were now in prison. Well, who are these spirits? He tells us in verse 20 right here. They were ones who were disobedient. Well, when were they disobedient? In the days of Noah. It's in the days of Noah when the patience of God was starting to run out. 
God kept waiting, and he kept waiting. And he waited during the construction of the ark. And then he says, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. So these spirits, the Lord, uh, they were disobedient, and they were disobedient to the Lord. And that opens up a whole other interesting kind of thing that we'll touch on as we go along through the days, weeks, and months ahead, okay? A really interesting things. But what I love about this is that Peter believed in the days of Noah. The Spirit led him to write about the days of Noah, and he wrote about the days of Noah. He believed in Noah. He believed the Noahic story in Genesis 6, 7, 8, 9. He believed in the universal flood. He believed that Noah constructed the ark. He believed that God was waiting in those days, that he was patient, and that he punished these spirits. Now, who are these spirits? Well, go read Genesis chapter 6, the first few verses of that, and I think that will give you some insight, okay? Uh, basically, they were the ones who'd step outside and did some things they shouldn't have done that God had created them. They took earthly women, the women of man, and raised up progeny unto themselves, and God had had enough of it. And so he had Noah construct the ark, flooded the earth, and eight people survived. Uh, well, my time's up. I'll tell you what, we'll pick this up the next time around, okay? Again, I'm Dale, and I'll see you then. Goodbye. Goodbye.